I don't want to turn into that which I fight, which means he's putting his own moral virtue above the lives he could save. Hey everyone, and welcome to Good is in the Details. I am your host, Gwendolyn Dolsky, and on this episode, we're going to be talking about Batman. We'll be talking about the morality of Batman, about his conflict with the Joker, and is Batman happy? So what can we learn from comics? I will be joined by two of my co-hosts, Rudy Sallow and Constantine Hatcher, and we are interviewing professor, writer, Mark D. White about his book, Batman and Ethics. Now, Mark has written a lot about comics, and he has a website, profmdwhite.com. Go there, check out all of his stuff. He'll probably be back on the show to talk about another one, so let me know what you like here. Good is in the details pod at gmail.com. Okay. Also, before we get started, if you haven't yet, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can click subscribe. That would be awesome. And if you are a bookworm like me and you want to join the Pods Book Club, you can go to patreon.com slash details. Okay, here's the interview. Hey, Mark, well, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Very happy to be here. <laughs> okay, um, just to, let's just do a quick intro. Hey, Rudy Salo, say hello. Maybe your Twitter handle. Hey, good morning. It's Rudy Sallow again. Um, usually I give my Twitter handle at the end of the show, which, you know, hopefully most people listen to, but I, I'm glad to give it at the beginning. It's at Sallow Rudy. And our next co-host, Constantine Hatcher. Hello. Twitter handle is Constantine Hatch. That's Constantine with a K. I want to start with, let's say, your collection of books on superheroes or on comics and philosophy. What got you started in that? Well, I've been a comic book fan and superhero fan all my life. And around, I can't remember what the year was, but sometime early in the 2000s, Bill Irwin started his series then with Open Court, uh, his Anne Philosophy series, with either Seinfeld or Simpsons. And I remember I was at a philosophy conference and saw them at the book display and just thought it was a fantastic idea because I think all of us that teach philosophy will try to use examples from the current pop culture to, you know, kind of motivate our students to think about things a different way. Back when we started this course, you know, Seinfeld was huge. And so it'd be, you know, do you remember what Kramer did in last night's show? That kind of reminds us of something Aristotle said. And, you know, anything to kind of draw the students in. So I started corresponding with Bill Irwin because I thought the series was great and started trading some ideas back and forth. And eventually, after writing a few essays for books on South Park and The Office and Family Guy, I told him, what about Batman? He'd done a volume already on superheroes in general. And at that time, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy had just started and it was going really well. And The Dark Knight was coming out. And I said, you know, how about a book, Batman Philosophy? And so that took off really well. Uh, Rob Arp co-edited it with me, and that just got it started. And then after that, I did one every year for the next six years and then started writing my own. One of the things that I thought was interesting was your use of utilitarian and deontology to explore the Batman. Is it Mm -hmm. the Batman? The Batman. Batman. (laughs) to explore them. Um, Really quickly, would you mind just for the general public what utilitarian theory is and deontology is so that we can use those to explore uh, the Batman? Oh, sure. Uh, Utilitarianism is generally the ethical school that promotes the maximization of the good or the, the maximum difference between pleasure and pain. Deontology typically focuses more on the moral status of actions themselves 
So rather than saying that doing something is good or bad or better or worse, they say doing something is either right or wrong. So for instance, utilitarians would generally say that lying is bad because generally it produces bad outcomes, it backfires, it hurts people. While deontology says that's not really relevant, what's the problem is that it's wrong because it denies people respect, et cetera. So Rudy, based on that, are you a utilitarian or a deontologist? I think I'm a utilitarian. That would be what my guess is. And I'm still trying to figure out you know, where I lie upon that. I mean, as I feel like as an attorney, I might be a deontologist, but as, I don't know, a human being, I'm a utilitarian. I don't know if that's the greatest answer ever, but that's <laughs> what my gut reaction is right now. No, that's right. Oftentimes, you know, we, have, we, we all play different roles and we uh, can adopt different ethical frameworks in those different roles. Yeah. If I don't have to subscribe to one and I can kind of pick and choose like a menu, I'm, I'm, that's the way I've gone my entire life. You know, um, it's not like I don't have any hard stance on things. You know, some things I believe are just absolutely reprehensible and wrong and there's no excuse for it like racism. And then, you know, other things I can kind of waver and go back and forth. So on this one, I'll take a little bit of both. Something in your book that you brought up was this concept of tragic dilemmas. I was wondering if you could define that and then tell us how Batman illustrates a tragic dilemma for us to understand in everyday life. Okay. Well, a tragic dilemma is usually considered uh, a choice from which you cannot escape with clean hands. The typical example from literature and film is Sophie's Choice, you know, where she had to let one of her children die. And I mean, you know, there's no good way out of that choice. Either, either option is just unthinkable. But if you have to make the choice, you have to make it. And the problem is living with that and being able to convince yourself that you made a choice that's acceptable every time you look in the mirror the rest of your life. And Batman setting himself such impossible goals and constraints that's where the utilitarianism and deontology come in. Setting himself this in, these impossible goals implies that he's always facing tragic dilemmas because he wants to do the best he can to fight crime and save lives, but he also wants to do the best he can in, in living up to his constraints and, and doing it the right way. And so the classic tragic dilemma in Batman's life is whether or not he kills the Joker. The Joker is definitely the most homicidal of all of Batman's foes. He's insane, he's nihilistic, and he just kills for the pleasure of creating chaos. And he does it indiscriminately, and he has done so in, in many ways, not only untold thousands of innocent lives, but also several people very close to Batman himself, including one of his Robins. So he, he's constantly confronted with this foe that likes to kill, is driven to kill, and will kill not just for the joy of it, but also to hurt people. And Batman knows that the best way to prevent this is to kill him, Joker, but he won't do it because that's his one unbreakable moral code. That's his one firm deontological constraint is not to take a life. So interesting as you talk about that, and you know, I'm also a comic book, comic nerd as well. I've seen like literally every single superhero, anything, whether sure. it's animated or not. One thing, and it's been, you know, but I work in the social justice field, thinking about, you know, Batman's dilemmas, like almost like a really an allegory for things, larger societal things like the death penalty, right? Like when it is, is the death penalty okay? Is it ever okay to kill someone, right? And these are these kind of like larger debates that we have in society right now that is kind of depicted in this comic in this kind of that tragic narrative of between Batman and Joker, right? Like, what should he do? Definitely. It's just interesting how art imitates life in that way. 
Right. Well, that's exactly why I do these books. I mean, either the edited ones or the offered ones is I'm trying to use, you know, just as allegories. I'm trying to use the stories that are in the superhero comics and movies as allegories, either for societal problems like you cited or our own personal problems and moral judgments we have to make. So it's really a, an educational tool to say, you know, it's the same as people have done with literature and, and movies and TV shows over the years, as, as well as just myths. I mean, it's a, it's become a cliche to say that superhero stories are our modern myths, but really they serve the same purpose in, you know, sort of teaching moral lessons. That's what I think is interesting is that these films don't work unless there is a moral dilemma. That's actually the, the heart of all of the films. True. Yeah. So that's one way that they show heroism is showing that the hero has to suffer for making this impossible choice. We had talked about that before about the, with an FBI agent about the concept of justice with Jeff Cortese, that is it a matter that has to be more than revenge. And it sounds like that's what we're learning from Batman, that justice isn't just a matter of revenge. Oh, right. He, he often tell back the, the same Robin that was killed and came back when Batman started working with him as a young boy, that's all he wanted was revenge, you know, because right. the Robins are usually young boys that are orphaned as a result of crime. And often, of course, as a young child would, when his parents are killed, they want revenge. And the first part of training a Robin is really getting him over that desire for revenge and more of a positive quest for justice. The problem with Jason Todd never got past this. And that was one reason that he really didn't work as a Robin even before he died. Your book, you quote Batman, that, that conversation with Jason Todd, which at the end of the day, basically is justice is not vengeance based uh, vengeance and justice are not the same uh vengeance is more personal Ju and what we were talking about with jeff cortese was when uh, gwen asked him a what i think a very difficult question his answer was when he what the definition of justice is he said justice is love it's when you take somebody and you try to reform them it's it's you come at justice from from a love aspect of it would you say that that batman would agree with that as well would it basically what i'm trying to ask is is jeff cortez a batman in, in disguise <laughs> that's what i'm trying to get I at love here. That. But, but i'd love to hear mark's opinion is justice love uh not not in batman's case i mean i'm not disagreeing with it in general but i'm saying not in batman's case he's motivated by an anger he's motivated by the fact that his parents were killed and he wants to spare anyone else that same pain it's driven by a remorse it's not driven but it's, it's in other words it's not driven by a quest for justice for its own sake i wouldn't say there's this definite psychological drive to not not atone for his parents murder he doesn't feel responsible for his parents murder but just to use that suffering to drive him to help make sure no one else has to suffer the same way or fewer people have to suffer the same way. But again, you know, the fact that he does have to combat the vengeful feelings of those he works with, and certainly he has to confront his own vengeful feelings as well. I mean, every time, I, I, I don't want to keep coming back to Batman and the Joker, but it really is the central conflict in the, the overall Batman mythos, is that, you know, he refuses to kill the Joker, or sometimes he even saves the Joker's life, and he watches the Joker kill again and again. And there have been several instances in the comics where Batman admits to people how badly he wants to end this man. But the, the struggle is he has to keep himself from doing it because he genuinely thinks it would be wrong. And that's when people like Jason Todd come back and say, well, you know, why do you, why would it be wrong? Why is this so much more wrong than the untold number of lives you'd save? 
And that always falls back on the same explanation that I don't want to be that type of person. I don't want to turn into that which I fight, which means he's putting his own moral virtue above the lives he could save. There is one interesting story uh, in some uh, prominent anniversary issue of Batman 200 or 300, something like that, where he and Robin are transported to alternate dimension where the Waynes haven't been killed yet. And this is going to give Batman a chance to save the Waynes, not his parents, but another Bruce Wayne's parents. And there's a really good but brief discussion between Batman and Robin where Robin says, you know, I don't know if we should do this. And Batman's like, what are you crazy? I can save, you know, another version of my parents. I can save another young Bruce Wayne from suffering. He says, yeah, but what if you save this world from having a Batman and that Batman doesn't go on to save all the lives and do all the good that you have? I mean, do we have any right to interfere, you know, even to save the lives of these two people that obviously mean a lot to you, but in the end, possibly prevent a great hero from coming about? And in the end, if I remember correctly, Batman does save the Waynes, but the little boy, little Bruce Wayne of this world, is so impressed by seeing Batman save his parents' lives, he, be- he grows up to become a Batman himself. So even though they did save the Waynes, they inspired the, the little boy in more of a positive way to be a hero, even though it's not based on the same remorse and pain as the, the Bruce Wayne we're familiar with. It's a great story. It's it's uh, usually reprinted in, in collections of the greatest Batman stories, but it's it's not one that gets a lot of mention. But it's it's I think very poignant, especially Robin's suggestion that should we even be doing this? You know, it's kind of like we're in an alternate dimension. We really don't have any right to be here. Maybe it should be like the Prime Directive. Let's not interfere. Let's let their history trace itself out. Batman can't do that. He's got to save these lives. But in the end, it ends up inspiring that world's Bruce Wayne to grow up and be a hero anyway. And in that instance, you would argue the point that, well, you know, you do the good thing that's in front of you, right? And, and trust that things will ultimately work out. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, like, and then it brings up that, right? Like, what's the, you know, when you're trying to decide, make those decisions, where do you rely on? Do you do the most good or do you worry about the effects of what that good might, what potential after effects of what that good could lead to, right? It's like saving someone that has a virus, knowing that if I save them, they could infect, you know, thousands of others, right? Which kind of (laughs) puts us in. We're in our own tragic dilemma right (laughs) right now, now, right? right? Well, again, that's basically what he does every time he either refuses to kill the Joker or saves the Joker's life. He knows he's helping perpetuate the life of a murderer. And ideally, he'd go to jail. Ideally, he'd stay there. He never does. He, he, I mean, he goes to jail. He goes to Arkham Asylum. He breaks out. And Batman knows this, but he can't bring himself to violate that one moral rule he set to himself not to take a life and, and to save lives when he can. You know, there's so many times where, Batman, where the Joker's, you know, stumbled off a cliff and Batman dives over to save him. All Batman would have to do is look the other way for a second. And, you know, certainly no one would blame him, but he would blame himself. But again, he does this conscious of the fact that this man's probably going to go on and murder more innocent people. Okay. I have a question about love. Okay. Mark, how would that impact Batman if he was in a relationship? uh, Most recently, I'd say over the last 10 years, 15 years, his central love interest has been Catwoman. 
And in fact, uh, one of the ongoing storylines over the last several years was the intensification of Batman and Catwoman's relationship to the extent where they were actually planning on getting married for a while. And the night they were set to get married, Catwoman left him or, or just didn't show up to the altar. So she left him at the altar, basically. And her rationale was she didn't know if he could effectively be Batman if he were happy, which is a huge question in and of itself. Is Batman suffering integral to who he is and what he does? Or can he be happy? Can he be in love? Can he be loved romantically and still be as effective as a crime fighter? as uh, the force that Batman is. And this was, you know, part of the last few years of the Batman comic were struggling with this question. You know, how much of a, of a role does Batman's pain play in being Batman? That's heavy. That is some heavy, yeah. good stuff yeah. right there. I, I mean, I wonder that question. I mean, I think we all wonder that question a, a lot. You know, if, if everything was perfect in our lives, if we had everything that we wanted, would we continue with that... Would that detract from motivation? Would we become lazy? If we achieved everything that we wanted to achieve, you know, would we just kind of plateau? Yeah, one of the benefits of being on the show occasionally is I'm, I'm studying philosophy a lot more and I'm studying what happiness means and is that something that's even achievable or the process versus, you know, what motivates me yeah. and, and what in Catwoman I mean, I'm my, I don't, if you could see my jaw kind of dropped because I was like, wow, that is really <laughs> profound. Obviously, you've studied a lot of Batman. I mean, I, but like the writers, the the storylines, the people that that have that are kind of keeping this narrative alive. Have you looked into any of their backgrounds? Do they have a philosophy background? Do they do they know what they're putting out there? Do they know that they are you know really educating people about these moral dilemmas, or is it just kind of, or are we extrapolating that because? We want to extrapolate that. I'm just curious. I know of a fair bit about the background of the various writers. For instance, the, the writer that wrote the most recent comics with the Batman and Catwoman wedding and then non-wedding and about the suffering and the happiness, uh, his name is Tom King. And he was actually a former CIA agent that then retired from the CIA. I think he was in Iraq for a while. And he retired from the CIA and became a writer. And he's written some fantastic, very deep comics. I, he doesn't have a background in academic philosophy that I know of, and nor does any other writer that I'm aware of in comics. But I don't think that, if anything, I think that makes them more impressive because they're just tapping into something. They're tapping into human struggles that philosophers describe rather than we didn't invent them. I mean, we're describing them just as novelists describe them, describe them and poets describe them and comic book writers describe them. You know, we formalize them more. But, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in that the, the best philosophy is often found in fiction. And by be people who never meant to write philosophy, they're just writing stories of human struggle. And that comes down to philosophy. So, so wait a minute. So philosophers don't have superpowers because Gwen's convinced me that she has superpowers for, well, for like for a while. Okay, all right, got she it. Does. Okay, yeah. understood. Okay, good catch. Good catch. <laughs> it's interesting too. I think that one of the things that I've always appreciated about comics and is that it really the way that it sums up the human condition, right? The that the tension between like that I'm happy and and content. But you need that kind of that tension to, to drive you and pull out your best, right? So you think about like in the case of say athletes, for example, right? The the best athletes are the ones that are driven internally 
for whatever reason, they have that drive, no matter what, it's not enough. So they keep getting up, they keep performing. Um, you're great leaders the same way, right? That even though they've made it to a certain point, they could kind of like, well, you kind of made it, but they still have that drive to keep doing, to keep trying to achieve. I wonder how much of it is it, do you think internal versus external forces? Often in comic books, it's kind of portrayed as more like external forces, hmm. oftentimes can be internal too. Do you think that there, in comics, does it, does it represent that tension as well? Actually, I think that most superheroes, I mean, you can pretty much divide them into ones that are either motivated by negative things, such as Batman having his parents murdered, or ones that are motivated by more positive things. You know, Superman and Batman are often portrayed as a dichotomy in this case. Superman does what he does out of love for humanity because he wants to be one of us. Batman does what he does because he, he wants to stop crime so no one suffers like he did and his parents did. I think they're all internal. Another great contrast, you know, more narrowly within the, the Batman world is Batman and Nightwing. Nightwing is, uh, some people know, the first Robin, Dick Grayson, you know, all the way back from 1939. I like to call him the OG, the OG Robin. The OG Robin, right, The OG, right. yes. He was allowed to age. You know, unlike most superheroes, he was allowed to age. And when he became a young adult, he gave up being Robin and laid the path for many to follow and became Nightwing. And Nightwing has become a fantastic, beloved character of his own. And he's often contrasted with Batman now that they operate more like equals. I mean, Nightwing still knows that Batman's the prime hero, but, the, you know, Nightwing can talk back to him now. He can argue with him now where he never could when he was a little boy in green short pants. But the main dichotomy that people see there is even though Dick Grayson's parents were killed, just like Bruce Wayne's parents were, Dick Grayson doesn't let that drive him. He enjoys being a superhero. He was a circus acrobat. He's out there with Batman. He's swinging around. He's jumping and flipping while fighting crime. He's making you know, smart-out jokes like Spider-Man does. And he's enjoying it. And he gets his heroism from a positive place. He, he enjoys being a superhero. He wants to help people. He's not doing it to exercise his demons like Batman. And fans like pointing out that Dick Grayson is also more balanced in his life. He embraces, you know, romance and relationships. He, he enjoys himself, not just when he's superheroing, but in other aspects of his life. He's got the balance that Batman has never been able to find. And you know, a lot of fans, and I won't speak to this personally because it's not my, my forte, but you know, talking about the male and female aspects of the story, you know, Batman is a very male character in, you know, both positive and negative senses, okay, that he doesn't embrace love. In fact, he shuns love because he, he thinks it will interfere with his mission. Where Dick Grayson is seen as embodying both the male and female aspects. Most, uh, I'm not going to say most of his fans, but a large number of Dick Grayson's fans are women. In fact, I hazard a guess that he's the most popular male superhero character among women fans because he does have these strong female aspects to his personality. He is caring. He's compassionate. Everything that typically is identified with Wonder Woman being a superhero based on love and compassion and grace. People find in Dick Grayson as well. But he's also got the side of Batman in him. So he's, he's a very complete character from that point of view. But I'd still say his motivation's internal. It's just a more positive motivation to help people and be a hero rather than Batman's, which is ultimately driven in you know, eradicating crime to save suffering. 
Sounds like Dick Grayson is the Rudy Sallow of podcasting, I think. Right. Uh, right. Sounds like he's the, I finally found the, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate that. But it's, you, you accurately described me. I, I really appreciate it. Yes. Staying on the levity note, just because I, I have to ask this question. Um, we're, we're on Zoom and we're recording separately, not in a room because we're in a pandemic and it's the coronavirus pandemic. And many people have, um, have thought, I mean, they tie the coronaviruses to bats. Okay, now we've seen what the coronavirus has done to Corona beer. Do you think that Batman will be negatively affected because we're, the whole world is going to go against bats? I'm just curious. What are your thoughts, Mark? I, I'm not worried about that. Okay, good, because I was, I was. I was worried that Batman was going to be shunned and put on a shelf somewhere. And he's my favorite character. I like him because he's more relatable because he doesn't have superpowers. He's He's just a guy. He's like a Rudy Sallow. He's just a guy you know, who's, who's awesome. And, and I was really worried the coronavirus is going to kill Batman. So I'm glad, I'm glad you think that's not going to happen. Oh, okay. Are you drinking? I, it's hibiscus, uh, my favorite LaCroix. And no, it's not noon yet. Oh, okay. It's, it's right. noon. It's it goes, it goes right to the White Claw. White Claw's in the noon here, Rudy. Is it? Uh, it's it's, it's 2.15 here. You know, the, the great Jimmy Buffett song, uh, five o'clock somewhere. Now I just say, well, it's 12 o'clock somewhere. So I, I mean, I could, but no. I've heard people make the comment that Batman's superpower is that he's rich. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, whenever, you know, in fact, it's to the point now, whenever I say the line, Batman is a normal guy, just like any of us, except he's a billionaire. <laughs> right. I mean, because people, you know, you know, it, it's a it's a great point that people make you know he's not an alien from another planet he's not a he's, you know amazon princess he doesn't have a magic ring he's quote unquote just a guy with incredible drive and motivation and focus and perseverance plus a billion dollars you know there are other similar superheroes that you know like well spider-man has powers but he's also poor right, right? so he has to make his own web fluid make his own web shooters make his own costume and everything so even though he does have powers, he's, you know, definitely not in the 1%. So, yeah, I mean, when people say that anyone can be Batman, you know, you have to push back and say, well, you can, you can be Batman, you know, without seeming mushy in your heart. You can, <laughs> you can adopt his same mission and, and try to fight crime and everything, but you're, you can't have all the Batmobiles and Batcave with the supercomputer, et cetera. Butler. Yeah. And that's an interesting utilitarian question because – and you brought this up in the book, the fact that he has so much money that somebody like, let's say, a Peter Singer, who's a, a utilitarian, might argue that all of that money that Batman has, that that money should go toward crime fighting or toward helping other people instead of for his own pleasure. Right. Well, well yeah, that, that's, a, that's a frequent criticism of Batman. That uh, there's a, on, you know, a joke that comes around online on social media all the time where Bruce Wayne will be talking to his butler, Alfred, and Bruce Wayne says, boy, I really want to cure the ills of society. And Alfred says, great, well, why don't you donate all your money to this and that? And the next thing is, says, no, I think I'll dress up like a bat and hit people. <laughs> and, and, you know, of course, of course he, he does both. And right. but that, that's a constant, you know, theme of criticism against Batman because he is a, a privileged billionaire. And being Batman doesn't come cheap. Even if he says, uh, there's, there's at least one time in the comics where he says he gives most of his money to charity and lends his name to projects and has fundraisers, etc. It's not that he does nothing. You rarely see Tony Stark doing any of this stuff, I just have to say. But the fact that he does devote a considerable amount of resources to being Batman 
lends people you know, that are sympathetic to Peter Singer to say, you know, even if he gives 99% of his money to charity, that 1% he's got left is millions and millions of dollars. Couldn't he give some of that to charity? And I think in the book, I say, well, you know, when you give 99% of your wealth away, I think you're somewhat entitled to do what you want with the other 1%, even if that is purely selfish. In other words, I don't think Batman is required to be a saint. Now, if he kept 99% and only gave 1% away, then there'd be more of a valid argument, or even half and half. But if, if we trust when he says he gives most of his money away to charity and just uses a little bit of it to fund Batman, even if that little bit is actually a lot, I don't think that opens him up for a lot of criticism. Okay. Well, final question, Mark. Who has played the best Batman? Mm. See, this is tough because to me, it's two different things. Who plays the best Batman and who plays the best Bruce Wayne? Oh. Because it's two different things. I Don't say George Clooney. George Clooney, I think, did a decent job. It's funny because he did I'm, do I'm not a huge fan of the movies in general, but my son recently got into them. So I watched them all with my son recently. And so I, they're all more fresh in my mind than they had been because I'd actually never seen the Clooney or the Val Kilmer ones completely. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a contrarian here and make everyone mad. But I and I wish we'd had more chance to see him. I really liked Ben Affleck as both Batman and Bruce Wayne. Oh, you know Batman what? Batman probably because the costume was so much better. Then <laughs> it was the the one costume that didn't look fake. Yeah, and all the you other like costumes were ridiculous. I'm gonna have to. Um, and I have to agree Bruce with you. Wayne, I really... he, had the, he had the right amount. You know, I like Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne as well. But I, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Ben Affleck did a bad job at all. His Batman portrayals, yeah, it's up there. With I, I'm not a huge fan of Christian Bale's actual Batman portrayal. I loved him as Bruce right. Wayne, but I would say Ben Affleck right. did an excellent Batman portrayal. I don't think you're crazy, because I know you were hesitating there because you oh, were yeah. worried about oh, yeah. saying you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. I, I've actually, I really like the Ben Affleck version of Batman. I, I thought Christian Bale's was good as well in terms of like, I thought I did a good job of like the, the darkness of Batman. Yeah, he was. He did well with the tortured aspect of him. But you know, his in terms always of always being twisted up. Yeah, yeah. But I think that Ben Affleck, in terms of like the, the kind of the, that counter image of the smooth billionaire playboy, I thought he did a really good job of that too. Like he, he kind of. But not being frivolous, he was still kind of serious. Right. Exactly. But he was, you know, he uh, he's better at Batman than he was at Daredevil. Let's say that. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Sorry, Ben. Because of course he's going to hear this, you know. You know, Ben also played. Don't forget, Ben also played Superman. In That's a, in true. One, in one That's of the true. greatest. Uh, I mean, I think it's one of his best roles was um, when he played. Gosh, what's the name of that movie? A Hollywood Land. Great film, and I thought he played a great Superman. It was very, you know, neo noirish. My question for you, Mark, is: I'm a huge fan of film noir. And um, I love the Batman as the detective, the dark detective, et cetera, et cetera. Right. How much do you think film noir and the, and the noir genre has influenced uh, the Batman comics and, and, you know, Frank Miller's version of it in the 1980s? Do you think that there's, there's a direct tie in there? Have you ever talked to any of the writers that have made that connection? No, I haven't. And I haven't read anything like that. I know that there, there's a book uh, about Frank Miller's Daredevil run by Paul Young through Rutgers University Press, where uh, I think Young is actually a film scholar. And so he, he analyzes Miller's work on Daredevil 
compared to noir film and, and says there's a lot of connections there. So, I mean, yeah, when you read year one, it's obviously in that mood. And uh, I agree. I, you know, I'd really like to have a Batman movie that focused on him being a detective and solving crimes. And unfortunately, the four-color fantasticism of having, you know, goofy, wacky villains, you know, whether they're homicidal or not, kind of detracts from. I really like, you know, Batman in the, in the uh, has two regular comic titles, Batman and Detective Comics. And at times, Detective Comics has focused exactly on what the title says, Detective Stories where Batman finds clues, he solves the crime, he catches the thief or the murderer, and working with Commissioner Gordon, those are some of my favorite Batman stories, even though they don't feature a, a you know a prime villain. You know, and, and coming, bringing that, that also reminds me of something I usually say about the movies, is my ideal Batman in a movie, this would never sell, but my ideal Batman in a movie would never be seen. You'd see his shadow, you'd hear his voice, you'd see people reacting to seeing him, but you'd never actually see him. Hmm. I think that'd be wonderful. There's a comic book called Gotham Central that was kind of like a Hill Street Blues or NYPD Blue in Gotham City. So it was really the story of the Gotham City Police Department having to work in a city with Batman and with the Joker and Riddler and all the rest. And just what it's like to be a police officer or a detective in that kind of city. It was a brilliant series. Uh, it was written by Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka, who are known for their crime fiction and comics and, and books. Ed Brubaker's written the, the criminal series for many years. But there's one, one uh, scene in that book where they're caught a suspect. They're trying to get him to talk. He won't talk. And so they all know, they don't say it, but they all know they have to call Batman because Batman will scare the living out, you know, out of the guy and he'll talk. But the cops, most of the cops resent Batman, resent having to call on Batman and say, listen, we're, we're police officers. We can interrogate a witness. We can do this. We're trained to do this. But they can't do it. So one by one, they all come around to the realization that they have to call Batman, even though they don't want to. And so when Batman comes in, you don't see Batman. You see all the police officers' faces as Batman comes through and all their different reactions. Glad to see him, resentful of him. You see a shadow pass. Then, of course, he walks in the door and you see the perp's face fall. And then he comes out two minutes later and has the answer and leaves. And again, all the police officers are, you know, they're glad to have a clue to further their investigation of the crime. But they just hate the fact that they had to call Batman yet again to do their job. It's incredible. I, I like that idea. Um, of, it's, uh, it's the idea that you don't have to see Batman. Of course, movie viewers have to see Batman, so that's the commercial reality. And it's, more, it's more interesting to see everyone else reacting to him than to see some guy in a rubber mask, which is you know always, always in the movies that looks so fake to me. No matter how well the actor does in it, mm-hmm. it's just it, it's it never convincing to me. If you had to capsulize it, what would you say? would be the main takeaway from folks like reading the comics and like how that can apply to the real world. I'll just say what the, my main takeaway in my book was is, you know, we talk about how Batman's, you know, uh, the wealth aside, Batman's just a guy, just a human being, no powers, nothing. And, and all people always point to that as saying that's what makes him human. But I think what makes him human is the, the, moral, the internal moral struggles he faces because he's trying to do so much along so many different lines. He's trying to do the most good he can. He's trying not to do anything wrong. He's trying to follow moral rules. He's trying to do all of this. And we've already talked about how this is an impossible mission, trying to stop crime. Well, imagine trying to stop crime while also not killing anybody 
you know, on, on occasion, he tries not to hurt people too much, though he doesn't try very hard. And just, you know, he, he's setting himself an impossible task along several dimensions. It's not just one impossible task. It's a number of impossible tasks. And that creates so much moral inconsistency and conflict within himself. And I think on a smaller scale, you know, on a more normal scale, you know, most of us are trying to do many different things, trying to do them as well as possible, trying not trying to do them right, trying to be fair, trying to be just towards the people we live with and interact with, and not break too many moral rules. I mean, we're all trying to do the best we can and also not do anything wrong. And those often come in conflict with each other. And it can be as simple as saying, you know, uh, let's say your, your, your aunt that you really don't like wants you to come over, you don't want to come over, do you lie to her? I mean, this may not be a particularly close ant to you, but, you know, let's say it's really a matter of you can't take this right now, or you made a commitment to somebody else. I mean, so much of our moral lives is commitments that we made in good faith that we end up making too many, and we can't fulfill them all, and we have to let some go. That's not a, ca- that's not a tragic dilemma with a capital T, but it is kind of the normal everyday example of a tragic dilemma. We can't do everything we promised to do, and we have to let something go, and we have to decide what do we let go. And, you know, that's that blown up and made fantastical in costumes and four colors. You know, that's Batman's struggle when he's trying to fight crime and not kill anybody and not get his Robin killed and, you know, balancing all these things. It's just a mythological expansion of what we face every day. And again, this is where I think comics can, you know, give examples, can teach lessons, you know, examples of what to do what not to do as well as what to do. What Once again, I feel just right. like Batman because I feel like right. I have too many commitments out there <laughs> and uh, and I'm always trying to do them. And, you know, the ant that I got to go see, sometimes that little white lie comes up. I'm feeling great after this podcast. I literally feel like <laughs> Batman. So this is, this is fantastic. Maybe the moral of the story is that we're all Batman. <laughs> Me more than others, but, well, but yes. my billion dollars, huh? Yeah, minus the billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. I guess you don't have to feel so bad about turning stuff down now. You can be like, Batman, yeah, Batman I'm going to Batman this. <laughs> we make it a bird. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much and have a good afternoon. Well, thank you all. This was great. That was fun. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it, man. Good stuff. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about the show, again, you can get in touch. Good is in the details pod at gmail.com. Or you can tweet me at Judalski. We're also on Instagram good is in the details pod yeah that's it okay so stay safe stay inside and stop hoarding the toilet paper bye mark are you there thank you (laughs) that's not me that wasn't you i don't think so no, that was me. I'm sorry about that. That was Rudy. <laughs> some, 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 I had I had something muted. Um, that sorry, just go ahead. Let's start. Let's start all over. Yeah, sorry about that.